Well, I'm going to try and preach the weirdest sermon I've ever preached so I can fit in here this morning. I'm just kidding. It's been a privilege to be with you guys for the last three weekends and hang out around the offices and hang out with your staff. And uh, yeah. It's the first time in my life I've sat around a church leadership team and there's four Steves sitting at the table. There's got to be something significant about that. And um, I'd just like to say you're in great hands. Pastor Colleen and Pastor Steve and Sean and Stephen, Steve Carlson, the leadership team, they are all unified. God blesses unity. Amen. So let's all just join in it together. Let's get our hearts engaged together. We're believing God for a great future, and you will have a great future. I can prophesy with my eyes open. God loves you, and he loves the church. And he will bring good things. Everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the subject of awake, awakening. And um, you know, before I dig into this, somebody, somebody didn't know this last night. They didn't know who George Burns was. How many know who George Burns is? When he was 100, they asked him, what is your secret to success? Long life. And he said this, when you wake up, get up. And when you get up, do something. And um, I am absolutely convinced by the spirit of God and by my experiences with traveling around this country because I've been doing a lot the last couple of years that we are on the edge of a powerful Holy Spirit awakening in the United States of America. We are. Barbara and I are a product of the Jesus People Movement. And uh, some of you might not know what that is and what it was, but in the early 60s, mid 60s, all the way up into the late 80s, there was an awakening that was going on in this country right here. 1960, an an Episcopal priest by the name of Dennis Bennett got baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and got up and told his church about it in Van Nuys, California. He wrote a book about his encounter called Nine O'Clock in the Morning, and he graciously got fired by his church and ended up at a church in Seattle, but he became a catalyst in denominational churches for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the early 60s, a guy named, I think it's John or Jack Sherrill, wrote a book documenting they speak with other tongues. He was talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was happening in denominational churches. I listened to David Duplessis as a young Christian. He visited Southeastern Bible College when I was there, and he told the story. He was sitting in his office, pastoring a small Assembly of God church in South Africa, and this guy walks into his office, takes him by the neck, puts him up against the wall, and begins to prophesy over David Duplessis that a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit was going to happen all over the world. It was going to invade denominations. Every denomination would be touched by it. And then he began to prophesy over David Duplessis, you will stand before people you would have never thought that you would stand before. You will talk to the Pope. You will talk to these people, and you will see an outpouring of the Spirit. The guy put him down, turned around, walked out his door, and left him standing there. 
A few minutes later, there was a knock on the door and the guy walked inside and he said, uh, hi. He said, my name is Smith Wigglesworth and you are, and they engaged. But David Duplessy was a guy that God used to invade even the, the sacramental churches on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Pope heard him and let him in to the Catholic churches. And, you know, personally, I was in many Catholic churches my first years as a Christian, worshiping with my hands up, singing in the spirit, taking communion with them, loving Jesus together with all of them. There was a radical outpouring of the spirit. In case you don't know it, in the 70s, in this city, right here, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There were 50, 60 prayer meetings going on every night in this city, all over the city. It was interdenominational. Denominational leaders were working in it together. And there was an awakening going on right here in Albuquerque. Why am I saying this? Because the seeds of revival are in this city. And there's power. There's power in seeds. I myself personally, I was a 24-year-old, drunken, pothead, broken life, driving down the road in my car, stopped at a red light on the corner of Beneva and Bee Ridge Road in Sarasota, Florida. And I'm at the red light, and somebody came in my car. I went, there was nobody there, but there was somebody there. And that presence that came in my car got on me. And in a moment's time, my life started flashing by me. I could visually see in my mind's eye all of my stuff, all of my lying, all of my cheating. I know that none of you never did any of it, but all of my, all my sins started flashing by. And I realized that whatever this presence was knew me better than I knew myself. I tell people it scared the hell out of me. I got home and I'm walking around my house and fidgeting and I telling myself I need to sober up. And then I realized all of a sudden that I was sobered up, that this presence sobered me. And this man's name, young man's name, kept coming to my mind. His name was Danny. Kept coming. I hadn't seen him in years. He was a hippie, hippie's hippie. He was a good drug dealer, always had good drugs. And I mean, when I say he was a hippie, he had been to San Francisco. He lived on Haight-Ashbury. He was in the middle of of all of the rebellion that was going on in the country. In the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, there was more rebellion going on in the United States of America than there is right now. There was more racial division than there is right now. There were more people upset about the government than there is right now. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Anyhow, so... This guy's name's coming to my head. And I'm thinking, you know, why am I thinking about him? So finally, I, I'm old school now. I'm an old guy. I went and found the white pages. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> the white page. I had to look up his mother's phone number. I didn't know. I, I knew who his family was. I, I called his mother up and I said, I, how do I get a hold of Danny? And she told me where he lived at. She said, he doesn't have a telephone. Can you imagine that? No telephone. He doesn't have a telephone, but that's where he lives at. And then she said, why are you calling him? And I said, I don't know. So I got in my car and I drove down to where he was and there was nobody there. And, and you know, I'm knocking on the door and I left and I, and I went home. And, and for the first time in years, I slept. 
all night. I had to get up early in the morning because I was, I was driving a bread truck at that time. So we went to work at four in the morning. I always wanted to be a hippie, but I couldn't afford to. I was poor. I had to work. <laughs> I couldn't live off of somebody else. And so I, I had a job, you know. And so anyhow, I d- delivered bread and I came home the next day and, and I'm going to meet a buddy of mine. We were going to go out partying. And, and so anyhow, I, I take a nap and I'm up and I'm in the shower. Now I'm soaking wet, covered with soap, naked. And uh, I, that's a bad scene, isn't it? And anyhow, that presence walked into my shower. And all of a sudden, what happened in my car happened in my shower. My life is flashing through me all again. And I I get out of the shower and I'm wiping off and I'm looking in the mirror. And now I'm talking to myself, Steve Williams, something wrong with you. You you push this thing too far. You've gone way over the ledge. You're probably dying And the thought of that hit me that I would go to hell. I wasn't raised in church. I wasn't raised around church, but some fear got a hold of me. And so now, you know, now I'm really fidgeting. And finally I get in my car and I drive down to Danny's house and knocking on the door and he's not there. And this little lady come out from behind the house and said, what what do you want? And I said, I'm looking for Danny Miller. She said, he's not here. He'll be back in a little while. Why don't you come back? So I, you know, okay. And I found out later that there was nobody that lived behind him and nobody knew of any little old lady in the neighborhood. And, you know, I don't know if it was a divine intervention or whatever, but it, it, it rattled my cage. So I left and I turned. Finally, I thought, I'm just going to go wait. I went back and he was there. He had a Volkswagen van. Now, when I say he was the hippie's hippie, it was decked out. You know, he had a flag on the, ro- on the floor of it, you know, in carpet strips. And it was all that stuff. I mean, he, he was there. And so I'm knocking on the door and he answers the door and I'm looking at him and something was different about him. His earrings were gone. His hair was cut. His eyes were clear. Had a big smile on his face. Said, Steve, what are you doing here? And I said, I, I don't know. How did you find me? I said, I called your mother. Why did you call my mother? So I said, you, you got a minute? So he, he said, yeah, come on in. So I'm sitting on his couch and I started telling him what had happened. And he started talking to me about Jesus. And then I'm thinking, Jesus. Nah, I got to get out of here. But then he started telling me the story. He had an encounter with God out with the hippies in the middle of a field and had physically been thrown up in the air, landed on his knees, and an audible voice spoken to him, Danny, Danny, and called him to come. And so he, he got radically converted. I'm sitting there on this couch, and now he's telling me about Jesus and reading the Bible to me a little bit. He's got Romans out, all of sin, and come short of the glory of God. And, and if we would call on Jesus, he would save us. And, and I'm trying to think, how can I get out of here? This is a mistake. I shouldn't be here. I'm sitting on the couch like this, you know. And I realize that I'm, I'm now, that presence is back on top of me, and I'm not moving anywhere because I'm pinned to the couch. I'm sitting there. So he started asking me, you know, if I wanted to pray with him. And I finally stopped him and I said, Danny, I just want to know one thing. Are you happy? I said, because I sure as hell am not a happy person. He said, Steve, I'm not just happy, I have joy. And when he said joy to me, it was like an echo chamber in my head, bouncing around, joy, joy, joy. 
And I said, man, I could stand some joy. And he started praying and I started praying and I got gloriously saved in that little house that night, sitting on that little couch. I, I went into his house one way and walked out another way. The weight of guilt and shame and hatred and anger, all this stuff just lifted off of me. And I, I felt something I'd never felt in my life. It was called forgiveness. And I'm telling you, I still feel it every day to this day. We are forgiven people. It's a wonderful thing to get saved. I then found out we went to church, you know, and I, all of a sudden I'm meeting people all over our community, Sarasota, Florida, hundreds of young people getting saved, having encounters with the Holy Spirit outside of the walls of the church. It wasn't going on in the church. In the church was charismatic renewal and outside was the Jesus people movement all at the same time that was going on. And and it wasn't just hundreds of people in my area. It was thousands of people and tens of thousands of people in the state of Florida. And then we find out that it's going all over the country. In the early 60s, Time Magazine wrote, God is dead or is God dead on their head page and talking about the decline of the church. And I think it was in 1971, it was a picture of Chuck Smith and baptizing people hundreds every week in the Pacific Ocean saying Jesus is alive and well. There was an awakening that was going on. It was radical what was happening. And so I've, I've done a little research on this. And last night's actually the first time I talked about it. But in, in the early 60s, 1960, when Dennis Bennett was baptized in the Holy Spirit, Dwight Eisenhower was president of the United States and Kennedy was the president-elect. And as this movement began to sweep through the country into the mid-60s and the late 60s, there was a radical movement of the Holy Spirit. And, and Lyndon Johnson was president of the United States. Now, I've listened to his tapes. I've, you, you couldn't have got a more bigoted, racist person in the White House than he was. There's evidence all over it. You know, his... I mean, they, get, they, get, they got the goods on him. Can I say this? It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It matters who's in God's house. Can I keep going now? I mean, it, it, <laughs> this, this movement of the spirit, we, had, we went from Johnson to Nixon. How many know that Nixon had a few problems? There was political confusion, Holy Spirit activity. Went from Nixon to Ford to Jimmy Carter. When Barbara and I first got married, inflation in our country was 18, 20% and interest rates were 16%. If you wanted to buy a $65,000 house, your payments were $1,800 a month. Now guys that political, I mean, Christian leaders started poking at the church because the church was not engaged politically. And we had lost ground. Abortion came a big deal. Prayer kicked out of schools, all this stuff. And so guys like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and James Dobson and a bunch of other people with national voices started poking at the church. Hey, you've got to care for your country. You've got to vote. You've got to get engaged. This is more than what's going on in a church. We got to love our country. And, and so Christians got up and went and voted. And it was the evangelical 
church that voted and put Ronald Reagan in the presidency. And so now we got a conservative in the presidency and he's pro-life and he's after these things. Now, this is just my observation of the thing. I'm not saying it's God. It's my interpretation of what happened. It, so it's got to be close to God. <laughs> but this is what happened. Christians who were actively involved in evangelism, actively involved in getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit, actively involved in witnessing for Christ. We got, we got a conservative in the White House and we sat on our rear ends and applauded the government and said, you guys go do this now. And that is a gross, horrible sin. We cannot politically fix what is spiritually broken. Cannot do it. I've been privileged by God to mingle with a lot of different groups of people and movements of people. And, and, and I end up in places that I don't belong. And I, sometimes I look around and think, how am I in here? But I know this. I know that people are all upset about the election and what all just happened. Country's going to hell. Listen, the country's been going to hell. The governments have been going to hell for a long, long time. Every man-made government all over the world wants to put laws and rules and regulations to own you and control you, and we have to decide who our king is. Our king is not a natural leader. Our king is Jesus. And we are living in another world. And our job is not to change the world we're living in. Our job is to bring another world into this world and watch God do a work that no man could ever do. That, that, that's our job. It's all free stuff. It's not in my notes. I, I'm, I'm just making an introduction to what I want to talk about. But I'm just telling you, I... I just believe I have a mandate from God to talk about this stuff. It's time for us to put our stupidity down and let spirituality, true spirituality, get a hold of us and let us get humble and seek God and love people the way he loves people and watch a radical change. This young generation coming up needs us. It needs us to quit being a bunch of religious bigots and to be actual people that love them, care for them, and launch them into their future. They need us to move forward. <laughs> What was I preaching about? Oh, awakening, that's right. We participated. We were in it and didn't know what it was. But man, I distinctly remember the presence starting to lift off of it. Some corruption started getting exposed out of leadership in the church. Men started taking credit for what God did. And God doesn't share his glory, and so the manifest presence just... And we've had a little pockets. Toronto was a pocket. Brownsville was a pocket. But those were kind of localized things that everybody ran to. The Jesus people movement was not a pocket. It was all over the place. The charismatic renewal was every denomination of leaders getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptist pastors, Methodist pastors, Lutherans. I'd listen to the stories of all of them getting filled with the Holy Spirit. A bunch of them got fired and started non-denominational churches and a bunch of churches opened up, and it was just a phenomenon. Why am I talking about this? Because we're on the edge of another one. We are. Now, listen to me. When it happened last time, the mainline churches didn't know what to do with the hippies, 
walking into church, carrying their acoustic guitars and their dogs, <laughs> saying, we've met Jesus. And they didn't know what to do. They didn't, they didn't know how to handle it. They didn't know where to respond. I was going to an Assembly of God church and a bunch of the old people in the church started telling the pastor, all these people are hanging out in this house all the time and they're doing this and they're doing prayer meetings. And the pastor, Dave Norris, I just reconnected with him not long ago on Facebook. He said to the old people in the church, you leave those young people alone. They got a fire we need. Listen, we can't get religious. I mean, I got two amens. Listen to me. We cannot get religious. We've got to be open to God. And, and you know, we, we have to change. We have to radically change. I've been fortunate to be around the globe. I'm, one of the nations I've been in where there's really an awakening going on is Bolivia, which has gone from 3% to about 40%. Born again, spirit-filled churches in the nation. Radical, radical stories of what's going on. The young people are out in the streets all the time before COVID, preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, miracles happening. It's just normal to them. I was, I went, I took a pastor from Ireland there. I said, you need to see what's going on because what's going on here, God wants to do in your nation. And I took a leader from Ireland into Bolivia and we got into the, in, into the in workings of what all was going on. And I listened to this young lady who was one of the leaders of the whole movement that's going on. And I said, so explain your schedule to me. Well, you know, she was, she had a job, full-time job. She was a volunteer in the church. She was leading a youth group. She had about 300 small groups that were underneath of her. And, you know, she's, she's about six days, six nights a week, she's involved in some kind of kingdom work. And I listen to that and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if we can get this going on in America. And that's what I said to her. I don't know if Americans will engage like that. And she looked at me and she said, well, Pastor Steve, you're not in the United States right now. You're in Bolivia. And in Bolivia, we have a mandate that we will see our country come to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God will expand in here. And she said, you prophesied it over us and we just happen to believe what God has said and we are going after it with everything that's within us. Barbara and I were at a leaders conference there a couple of years ago and this young man picks us up. He's driving a really nice car and anyhow, we get to talking to him and he had been a, a gun dealer and a cocaine addict and a drug dealer and he had gotten radically saved and, and um, he met this young gal in the church and, and, and they got married. Her father was a successful developer and, and he, her father, her, his father-in-law wouldn't hire him. He said, you, you, you got to go prove that you can make it on your own. I'm not going to try and take care of you. You got to figure it out. Anyhow, this guy bought a, got involved and he bought a, a gas station and owned this gas station and it started prospering, but he didn't want to do it. He decided to sell it and he got it sold and he made some money on it. And so his father-in-law said, well, you can make it, so I'll hire you. And so they're building condominiums in, in Southern Bolivia and in some other places in South America. And he's, he's making a lot of money, young guy. And I said, well, God has really touched you. And he, this is what he said, well, pastor, he said, our pastor has a big vision. And he said, we just happen to believe that it's our job to fund that vision. What does awakening look like? It's his. It's all his. 
We, we say it all belongs to God till he asks for a little of it. What, why am I telling these stories? Because I just happen to think in my spirit that we have within us the seeds to respond to God for something that is far greater than we are. But it is going to demand a radical shift. My question is, do we want it? So what does awakening look like? There's a hunger and a desire for more of God. There is a pursuit of him that has a tenaciousness in it that will not be denied. There's a faith that is alive and active. There's passionate worship. There's a burden for lost souls to be saved. And Jesus and his kingdom come first in everything. Here's a biblical definition of awake or awakening. It means to rise from sleep and sitting in disease or death. To, to rise from obscurity and non-existence. To come out of inactivity or a lack of influence. To repair the ruined. By the way, God is still in the restoration business. To, to awake from lethargy or dullness and indifference. To come out of apathy where there's no interest and no emotions. To rise from the dead. To become vigilant and roused to activity. Come alive to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Arthur Wallace, a great British prophet, said this. Find out what God is doing in your generation and pour yourself into it and you will always have purpose. My app of that is you will stay awake. Matthew chapter 25, the terrible parable of the 10 virgins. I just want to make an application, not an interpretation out of this. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and no oil with them. But the wise took oil with their vessels and their lamps. And while the bridegroom slept, he was delayed. He was not sleeping. He was delayed. They all slumbered. Say that with me, all. They all slumbered and slept. Everybody went to sleep. But at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose. Say arose with me. They arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. And the wise said, no, lest there not be enough for us. And you will go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Just the application of this thing is that they all went to sleep. They were all sleeping. Jesus said we're supposed to occupy till he comes, which is a military term, which we have to be vigilant. We, are, we actually are to resist apathy and resist, and we have to resist hard-heartedness. We cannot allow the criticism and the cynicism that's in the world invade our lives and invade the church, nor should we empower those attitudes in the church. At midnight, a cry was made. Well, it doesn't say what the cry said, but the actions of what happened 
has to imply that the, the cry at midnight was, wake up, wake up, come out of it. Because it says they all arose. Agero is the Greek word. They all awakened. They all came out of it. See, the heart of God always is that we would passionately be involved in what he's doing. And when we read the Old Testament, whenever God's people were totally disconnected from him, the prophets cried out, awake, awake, return to me. I will return to you. He's always calling out. Today, right now, you could be, you could be online in one of your darkest moments. I want to declare over you, God is not mad at you. He's calling you out to wake up and arise because he has purposes for you far greater than what you're doing right now. They all arose. They woke up. They came out of lethargy and out of apathy and out of powerlessness and out of denial. And I am convinced that God right now in our country is brooding over people and making them uncomfortable because he's calling them to wake up. He's calling them to come out of the rut and get into the movement and advancement of his kingdom. He's setting the stage. He's exposing the darkness, the darkness of the political world, the media, the entertainment, the sports world. There's a total lack of character all of them. Well, maybe not all. Maybe there's 2% that aren't. But I'm telling you, there's a lack of character. The biggest, the biggest issue in our country today for any leader in this country is nobody is going to trust you. You're going to have to earn it because nobody trusts any. It's broken. The politicians have broken trust. Everybody else has broken trust. You, you know, who do we believe? I think we need to believe God. But there's a lack of the character and integrity and, and morality. The idolatry of our country is showing. COVID has made a whole bunch of them get silent. They're showing. God is saying it's time to wake up. Say, wake up with me. Wake up. I want to give us this morning eight characteristics of an awakened church. I'll read a couple of scriptures and then I'm going to give them to you. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this, knowing the time that now, say now with me, now it's high time to awake out of sleep for now, say now with me, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly or uprightly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in licentiousness, not in lewdness, not in immorality, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no, say that with me, no provision for the flesh. Ephesians chapter five, verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, you who are indifferent. Arise from the dead, those who are powerless, and Christ will give you light. See, then you walk uprightly, carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Eight things. Number one is awakened people are receiving light from Jesus. There's a pouring in of divine truth. There's a revelation about him and about themselves. We have to remind ourselves, God is good. Say that with me, come on. God is good. He loves you and wants to infuse you with his life. There's illumination. The word of God comes alive. When light is being poured into us, the word of God comes alive and there's a quickening of the Holy Spirit. There's a desire inside of us for more of God. We want to receive power to overcome our enemies, both external and internal. See, there's a hunger for an increase of God in our lives. We want the victorious one living in inside of us. I talked on it last week. When the victorious one is living in you, faith comes alive and hope springs up and love motivates us to be a, a difference maker. The second thing is uh, awakened people walk wisely. They honor God in thought and word and actions and with their bodies. By the way, our bodies are not for ourselves. Jesus bought them with his blood. He owns them. Our bodies are to glorify him. Amen. Wise people lay foundations that are firm. They hear and do the word of God. I've talked to young men sometimes. I hear you. I hear you. you know, what I want to say is, don't say I hear you. Say I do ya. We want to do it. Amen. We want to do the word of God. Awaken wise people are not self-focused, but they are Jesus-centered. Number three is awaken people redeem the time. They make the most of every chance that they get. They, they understand the times they are living in. They, they find out what God is doing and they join him. Yesterday afternoon, I was praying and meditating. And what time is it here? What time is it at New Life City? I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to know that there's a change that's going on. And Alan and Gail have said this, it's time for us to transition. You know, we went through that a few years ago and I, I'm not a deeply emotional guy, but I had about 10,000 emotions start happening inside of me and Alan's a little more emotional than I am and he'll have probably 100,000 of them. And, and what he's going through, and I, I've talked with him about this because I'm working with pastors all the time now. He's, what he's going through is normal. He, you know why? Because he loves Jesus and he loves you. And yet he knows that God is saying to him personally, it's time for a change. See, he's laid a foundation and he's done a great job. He and Gail have done a great job of laying a foundation. But, but there 
ceiling is the platform for the next generation. The next generation gets to launch off of the hard work and the labor. I went through this transitional stuff and, and it, I just can encourage you, pray. And pray for him and pray for the church because we all have to let go of something. Say, let go. Let go and embrace the future. Now listen, we can do it and be grouchy or we can do it with a good attitude. That's a choice. Now, I want you to know something. God had a good attitude about this. So maybe we should join God. I, I don't know, what, what do you think? But I, I think, what time is it at New Life City? It's time to pray. It's not time to talk about it. It's not time to say, oh, I think we should pray. I actually think it's time to pray. As I was meditating about this, I just felt the Lord quicken this scripture to me for you as a church. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He is near to you. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the righteous man his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord. He'll have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Look, here's what happens in transition. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Do you know something? What you and I think about it is not that important. What God thinks about it is important. Now listen to me. Paul said this, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That means that I get to surrender my low thinking thoughts and be embraced with his thoughts which, by the way, are far greater and far grander and have a lot more purpose than what I can think about. I, I actually have to shut off the noisy crowd that's not paying rent, trying to occupy my head. I got to expel them and say, no, I'm not going to think your thoughts about stuff. I'm going to think God's thoughts about them. One of the best things I did was I shut off the news. I did. I shut it off. My wife thought I got delivered. I, I shut it off. This is a couple of years ago. I, I shut it off because, you know, when they start with all their stuff and you know it's not true and it appeals to the emotions and, you know, and I just want to throw my shoe at the television. I'm thinking, why, why, why am I even letting this in my house, let alone in my brain? I'm not saying I read, I'm informed, but I don't let them get my emotions. Because God wants my emotions. He wants my thought processes. He, he wants to put something in me that's far greater than what I see right now. And his ways are a little more superior than my ways. Don't get stuck in your own thoughts and in your own ways. I'm prophesying now with my eyes open. God is going to do a miracle for you, in you, and through you. And don't get caught in the path of cynicism and criticism and miss out what God wants to do. Don't do it. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to call upon him. Amen? 
He's going to help you. It's time to activate your faith and believe for a great future. It's time to regather. And I would say this to any church in our country. We need to regather. Online, it's been great. But something happens in corporate gatherings that doesn't happen in my house. Barbara and I sat in our house for months watching church online. We were so happy when we got to go. We, I called the young pastor up the church we're part of, and I said, when are you guys recording this stuff? He said, you can come. Man, we got a handful of people, but we could worship together with people. We could be in the manifest presence of God together with people. There was joy. The stuff that you can't get by yourself. You know, if you've been hanging out online, and I'd just like to encourage you. Take your pajamas off, get up early, get dressed, get your coffee drank, and get to church. You need to regather. You need the corporate gathering, and the corporate gathering needs you. You know, we're all in this together. And it's time, New Life City, it's time to be generous. Be generous with kindness. Say kindness with me. Be generous with encouragement. Come on, say that with me. Encouragement. Be generous with love. Say that, with love. And be generous with resources and finances. It's not time to hold back. Well, I'm going to hang on to this and we'll see what God does. Well, I'm just telling you, if, if that gets to be an attitude with people, just be kind to them and say, stop it. Because God's going to do great things and we shouldn't disengage. We should be more engaged. Amen. Awakened people understand what the will of the Lord is. And we, we spirit-filled people, we tongue-talking people, we people that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the, and the sensitivity. Sometimes we hide behind this. I'm trying to figure out what the will of God is. Well, the objective will of God is that the king and the kingdom come first. The objective will of God is that you become a worshiper. The father is looking for those who will worship him. Not a product, but a person whose heart is engaged. It's the will of God that you become a soul winner. He that wins souls is wise. It's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of our God. See, now that's all of our jobs. That, that's our job. Over 90% over of the people in the American church have not led one person to Christ. And there is something wrong with that picture. We've got to get back sharing our faith and talking to people about Jesus because the world is watching us. We have something that they need. If we're acting like them, we have nothing to say. But if we're living in a superior world, in this world, we have a whole lot to say because God wants us to win them. Amen? I, I think there are some lost people in America. I think there's some lost people in Albuquerque in the region around here. I, I think there are, and that's our job. See, who are you praying for? Who, who are you reaching out to? The problems in our country are, are spiritual, so that means that we, we actually are to be engaged in the solution. People need an encounter with God, and it's our job to bring them there. The fifth one is awakened people are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They are filled over and over again. Ephesians 5, 
Paul is writing to the Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Acts 19, these people started out filled with the Spirit. They started out speaking in tongues. They started out prophesying. And now here Paul is writing a letter to this church saying be filled. It means to be filled over and over and over again. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his presence, we need his person, we need his power, we need his life inside of us, and we need to get filled over and over and over again. I talked to some charismatics and Pentecostals, and I, I just kind of poke at people. How, how's your spiritual life doing? And are you engaged? In, are you praying in the Spirit? Paul said it was important to pray in the Spirit. And I've actually had pastors tell me, well, I did it years ago. I just want to poke them with a stick. Get it going. Get your motor going. You have a gift from God. You need to activate that thing. You need to pray in the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Here's Paul telling you. Why do we need it? Because we leak. We give out. We spend out. Earlier this week, I'm reading through all my notes thinking, these are boring, God. I need some help. You got to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I got to have something to say. Without you, I can do nothing. My wife is listening to me preach. I got to say something good. So she, tell me I'm doing a good job. Oh, thank God. Can I just say this? We need the Holy Spirit. We need his power. Jesus said we can have all we want. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock, the door will be open to you. He wasn't talking about stuff. It wasn't a capitalistic gospel. How much more will the Father give, give, pour out upon you the Holy Spirit to those who are asking? We got to posture ourselves. God, we need you. We got to get desperate for God. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him. How much do we want? Awakening has a healthy life-giving relationship. They encourage one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 50 times in the New Testament, over 50 times one another is used. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another. It means this, that you can't live this Christian life by yourself. It's not me and Jesus, it's we in Jesus. Amen. We have life-giving relationships. Awakened people sing. I'm going to help Stephen here. Awakened people don't watch a band. They sing. Isn't that charismatic renewal? Somebody would show up with the acoustic guitar, some Jesus songs. They knew the song. We all just started singing with them. Presence of God would come into place. We weren't, we, we weren't grown up. We didn't have drums. We didn't have, we didn't have all the instruments. We had a song in our heart. I'm telling you, you got a new song inside of you and you need to sing it. Sing it in the shower. Sing it when you're driving down the road in your car. Sing it in your house. They, when I was pastoring, they, they told me, Steve, don't, don't sing in the microphone. Please don't do that. So they would shut me down. But I told them in heaven, I'm the worship leader. 
I can make a joyful noise and I can shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Awakened people sing. I'm telling you, God loves your song. He put it in your heart. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider are thrown into the sea. The Lord's my strength. He is my song. You got to sing. Oh, these guys are really good. I can just enjoy them. Their job is to stimulate the song that is inside of you, not to entertain you. Come on. Awaken people. Sing a song. They don't just sing on Sunday. Driving down the road in your car now, you can sing. People think you're talking on your cell phone. <laughs> I'm worshiping Jesus. Come on. You pray in the spirit, sing in the spirit. Come on. You got a song inside of you. Let it out. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can I say this? God loves your praise. And the devil hates it. Your praise is powerful because it splits open the heavens. We lived in this city for 27 and a half years. And I found out something. You want to be a kingdom church in this city, you better get praise going on in your mouth. Because you got to push back hell. There's entrenched strongholds that got to come down. And the only way they're going to come down is when God's people engage together and lift up a song of praise and split the heavens open. Come on. Awaken people. Sing. Oh, I just want to relax and enjoy it. Can I just say this? It's not for you. Moving right along. <laughs> Awakened people are thankful people. Giving thanks always. Awakened people are thankful people. We transitioned our church. I got, I got in this pit of despair. Even the dog didn't like me. I just got depressed. I got discouraged. I got, I got into this mess. And I didn't want to be around people. I didn't, I just. <laughs> but one day I Google searched and, you know, 10 steps for depression. And I had nine and a half. <laughs> I went home and I said to Barbara, I think I'm depressed. She said, really? Really, she's jumping up and down on the inside. Thank God he's finding out. I said, I'm going to go see somebody. I'm not going to talk to somebody in the church. I'm not talking to my family. I'm, not talking, I'm going to go see somebody. So I'm going to see the counselor. And I'm telling him what I'm going through. And, you know, and he's listening to me and being very kind. And he had, he had actually met Matt, our oldest son. So he said, I met Matt. He says, fine young man. Yeah, he's a great guy. He said, are the rest of your kids like him? I said, well, they love us and they love Jesus and they love the church. By the way, my favorite little girl's right here today. My daughter is here. She wanted to come hear her dad preach. I'm going to pay her money later for listening. <laughs> but 
yeah, they, you know, they, and so he said, well, Steve, you need to be thankful. I said, well, I'm thankful. He said, no, you, you need to really be thankful. He said, do you know how many pastors I know that could never tell me that their kids love them, love Jesus, and love the church? I said, well, I didn't raise other people's kids. We raised our own kids, and, you know, you need to be thankful. Okay, okay. I looked at him. I said, you know, I preach about this, being thankful. He said, well, you need to practice what you're preaching. So all of a sudden, I realized I'm paying this guy a lot of money to preach my sermons back to me <laughs> to get me out of the pit. And, I, and he looked at me and he said this to me. He said, Steve, you've been in a lot of jungles. You just haven't been in this one. And somehow that helped me. And he helped me. I, I saw him a few times. Every time I walk in, how's your thankfulness coming? I said, I got the message. I'm telling you, listen to me. Thankfulness got me out of the pit. Jonah got thankful in the belly of the whale and got spit out on the beach. I don't care where you're at today. You've got something to be thankful for. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God concerning you. There's a wake-up call coming to all of us. God is at work. And he's inviting us to join him. The darkest hour is the prelude for the thundering voice of God. It's time to wake up. We are being called and stirred by the Holy Spirit all over this country to engage or re-engage with him and his purposes. You can have more of God. You can be used to make a difference in other people's lives. God wants to give you revelation, time to influence, the power of the Holy Spirit, a fresh new song to thing, sing, and a thankful heart. In this day, let's let the mantra of the early church become ours. The victorious one is alive inside of us. Awake, awake, put on your strength. Come alive in Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. You could be here this morning and You could just be, if we could just be honest, all of us could say, maybe I've been a little bit asleep. And if that's true, if you're just honest about it today, how many would say, I'm going to lift my hand up and I'm going to give God permission to wake me up, to stir me, to let a burden come upon me, to see his world come into this world, to return to the place of prayer, to return to the place of praise, to return to the place of thankfulness, to return to the place that I want to see the will of God done, that, that my neighbors need to know Jesus, and that's why I'm living on the street that I'm living on, and the people that I work with need to know Jesus, and that's why I'm here. And, 
And you would say, God, you can come and occupy my mind. I can let this mind be in me that was in Christ Jesus. The thoughts of God can permeate me all over again. In the middle of your transition, I hear the heart of God for you as a church. You are not alone. I am with you. I will carry you through this thing. You will come on the other side. You will be alive and you will return to mission and you will see me do signs and wonders and miracles and great things. Wake up and engage. Give yourself to prayer and watch what God will do. Lord, I pray over this church this morning that your spirit continue brooding over them. God, let the life of God come alive in ways even it's never done before. Let there be a mighty awakening right here amongst this people in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you. Thank you. We have enjoyed being with you for the last three weeks, and you're going to be well cared for from here on. God bless you.